Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter number 7. While you're doing that, if you didn't bring a Bible, that's fine. There's a pew Bible right in front of you just for you. If you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that one with you. I'd love to bless you in that way today. If you're following along online, you can go to the Bible app, that Version Bible app. And if you'll look in that other tab that says events or more, you'll see the notes from today's sermon, a link to that right now. Our church family knows that's right on our church app. You got your Bibles ready? Let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father, since our whole salvation depends solely on you and you have spoken to reveal that to us by your Spirit through your Word, grant that our hearts, free from worldly cares and affairs this morning, might hear and understand your precious Word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will. We might love it. We might live by it, to your praise, to your honor, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Not long ago, you would see in sporting events and even on Tim Tebow's face paint that he would put on John 3.16. Have you seen the folks at the different ball games? You know me in sports. That's about all I got for you. Ball games, games with balls, things. Um, the big signs that have out there, John 3.16. Well, I don't know that you, have you ever seen anybody hold one up that said Matthew 7.1 or underneath say Matthew 7.1? I haven't. And yet, I would submit to you, as I mentioned earlier this week in the little video I do in advance of our Sunday morning gatherings, that this has become one of the most famous verses to be weaponized against the body of Christ. Judge not. Don't you judge, right? You say, your breath stinks. Judge not. Or whatever you say to somebody, like objective truth. You address something based on a standard. You know, I think the sky is blue. Judge not. Whatever. That's the crazy world that we live in today. I want to deal with that. What's Jesus talking about here? What's he not saying? How does this balance out with the rest of his instruction and in Scripture? Do you ever wonder where we... New Testament preachers that try to preach the Bible way come up with this idea that we kind of land heavy. You know, you, you preach the sermon and then at the end or close to the end, there's a few serious points and calls to actions that are of eternal consequence. Well, Christ is one of our examples in that what we would call homiletic. He does that here in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 after he's dealt with like living authentically and not as a religious hypocrite and then not as a materialistic believer, a disciple. In chapter 7, Matthew's gospel, he's going to deal with false judges, false directions, false prophets, false converts, and false foundations. One of my best friends has a mug that just says false. I like it. I thought about putting it up here this morning. That's what he's going to deal with. That's pretty heavy. That's where we get this from. Now, this morning will hopefully not be incredibly heavy except where it needs to be. That's the challenge of the preacher to not get in the way of the text and let the text stand for itself. Some of you have loved ones who are, I'm going to use a really politically correct word here. You ready? Y'all know me by now. It's coming. Heathens. Yes? Just me? You have loved ones that are just out and out 
heathens. And any time you say anything about anything referring to God's word, they quote Matthew 7, 1 to you. Judge not. You're not the judge of me. Some of you uh, have been in church families before, and there are churches, even churches like Grace Covenant Church, where young, immature Christians will whip this verse out if a loving brother or sister tries to fulfill that covenant that we have with one another to equip one another and to build one another up in our most holy faith. By the way, building each other up in our most holy faith is not just handing out tulips and smiles all the time. Sometimes we have to lovingly have conversations to address blind spots. I have blind spots. But, but the Bible says judge not, doesn't it, Pastor? It says judge not. Is Jesus calling us to never judge anyone, anything, ever? Is that what he's saying? It, 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 is he saying to judge or not to judge? That is the question. That was my sermon title this morning. I had a couple options. That title, uh, to judge or not to judge, or in a minute, this one will make sense, logs, dogs, and hogs. That one didn't seem like it would, would fly. And then the other one, why you always got to be judging me. I didn't, I didn't know if that would work either. Anyway, here, let's look at some of the texts where people say, well, the Bible clearly teaches us to judge not. We just read one, Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. Luke 6, 37. Judge not and you'll not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. See, preacher, you're not supposed to judge. Romans 14, therefore let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. It's amazing what verses out of context will say, isn't it? James 4:12. there's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? And so you do your hands like that and you say, see, the Bible clearly says not to judge. Let me give you some other verses. With this header, you like this? Judge not. I did three question marks because that's how we text today, right? If it's really a serious question. Matthew 7, 6. Don't give the dogs what's holy. What is that? We'll get to that verse in a minute. Or throw your pearls before pigs. Well, how do I know who's who if I don't discern or decide? Judge. 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 5. In the context of that body, life or do you not know that the saints will judge the world and if the world's to be judged by you are you incompetent to try trivial cases or talking about resolving things within the body do you not know that we're to judge angels how much more than matters pertaining to this life so if you have such cases disputes that need to be settled that's context why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church i say this to your shame can it be that there's no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers that sounds like Judging, 1 Corinthians 2.15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself judged by no one. 1 John 4.1, beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. For many false prophets, we've got to judge the spirits. Finally, Jesus said in John 7, don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Okay, we're done. Sermon finished. Judge not, judge. That's the question. You've worked it out. No, you can see, right, how some people who won't do the study of context can come to the conclusion that we're not to ever judge any matter in any way. Is there a contradiction? Or, 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 does the word used and its context actually matter? Newsflash, spoiler, it matters. Context matters. Bible Study 101, context.
context, context, context. The word here used for judge is krino. It's K-R-I-N-O. Nobody probably has that hashtag today, but that's the word used here. Here's the funny thing. This word means different things based on how it's used with the supporting words around it. It can mean to separate, as Jesus said, don't separate. Here, whites from the colors in the laundry. Don't separate expired things from good. I mean, don't separate. No. Is he saying not to choose? It means to choose. It means to select, to determine. It also means to uh, condemn. Well, now there's an interesting meaning there. There's an interesting meaning. What's Jesus saying here? Is Jesus telling us here to suspend our mental faculties to determine or discern whether or not this individual is in the right or the wrong or this person needs Jesus or doesn't need Jesus? No. He's clearly not against us being discriminating. He's clearly teaching through all these previous texts that we are not to be, watch this, judgmental or condescending or condemning or set ourselves up as the final authority. We must have, here's the first point I would give you, careful judgment. And I didn't have room to fit it all in the slide, but what I would pose this as is careful judgment versus judgmentalism. Careful judgment versus judgmentalism. Jesus is warning us here against setting ourselves up as the sole standard inspector and enforcer of all others. He's clearly not excluding sound judgment, as we've already stated. He's pointing to the one. Now be careful who pops into your mind as I describe this person. You may have to repent. He's pointing to the one person who is playing the part of fault finder professionally. They seem not only to enjoy it, but they enjoy being negative and destructive toward anybody and everybody they come into contact with. While they are unqualified, they have appointed themselves the modern-day Nathan the prophet. Go look up the story of David after his terrible sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, and you'll see what I'm talking about there. This type of judgmental person actually enjoys seeking out the failings of others. He will always assume the worst possible construction on the motives of others while pouring cold water on their plans and being ungenerous toward their mistakes. Have you met this person? Do we know this person? Listen, listen. Be careful with this because some of us think anybody confronting us or talking to us about anything we put into this category. That's not what's happening here. We're talking about the professional, unelected fault finder. Jesus is confronting being judgmental. By the way, I doubt you're itching to have coffee with this person, right? Don't you, when they come up and say, how you doing? You're like, oh, fine, I don't know, go away, <laughs> right? These are people you just don't want to be around. Notice with me the danger in verse one. Jesus says in verse one, judge not that you be not judged. This isn't karma. Be careful. This isn't what goes around, comes around. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. Because if what goes around, comes around, you and I would never, ever get into heaven. If we got what we received, if, if what we did in the deeds of our flesh we were rewarded for according to justice, we'd have no hope or standing. There would be no New Testament church. So that, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is my righteous judgment stand, justice standard is this. Be careful. Be careful. 
Number one, there's a danger in judging others because we're going to be judged by that same standard. We will all be judged. Our merciful and just heavenly Father will judge us rightly, and He is fully qualified. He will do the condemning. That's not a phrase we like to attach to our loving God, especially singing how deep the Father's love for us. But how deep the Father's love for us that he will punish sin as the righteous judge. We'll all be judged, but he's merciful and he's kind and he does it rightly. Notice the detriment to our own life when this typical or this type of judgment um, goes forward. Again, we're not talking about just Assessing a standard, we're talking about being judgmental. Look at verse 2. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You've heard me talk about before. We hold others to a standard we ourselves don't even maintain. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions, don't we? We're like, well, I meant to. But we never give the other person the benefit of the I meant to. Car. Jesus is fully aware, too, of the popular teachings going on by the rabbis of the day. They were teaching there were two standards, two measures of being judged or assessed. There was the measure of justice and there was the measure of mercy. And the rabbi would decide how to judge you based on, I don't know, whatever set of criteria they had established. This rabbi had one set of criteria, this one had another. Jesus, again, pulling the pin on that grenade of truth, drops it in the middle of that and says, be careful which standard you choose to judge by because you're gonna be judged by the same standard. Jesus didn't say, we shall be known by how awesome we judge one another, did he? We'll be known for the way we love one another, which doesn't leave Blind spots unchecked. It doesn't do the work of discipleship, but it doesn't do it in a judgmental and condemning way. Merciful people, merciful people aren't judgmental people, but merciful people can still be discerning, and merciful people can still hold others accountable, and merciful people can have a loving conversation between brothers and sisters with the goal of reconciliation or restoration. And if that's the goal and that's the heart and the Holy Spirit is working in the midst of that, that will crowd out all judgmental and haughty and arrogant and demeaning dispositions. That's the kind of conversation I want to have with somebody, isn't it you? If I've got a blind spot, I want you to approach me wanting to see my best and success in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want a covenant relationship with you before I open that door. Or I might whip out the, why you always gotta be judging me? We have to be careful. Here's a beautiful quote from Sinclair Ferguson. The heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgment of others. It has seen itself deserving judgment and condemnation before the Lord, and yet instead of experiencing his burning anger, has tasted infinite mercy. That's us, those of us named in the body of Christ, those of us who have a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a people who have been baptized in mercy and grace. Praise God. Even in this restrained judgment of others, there's still a discerning and discriminating action that takes place within the local church, the body of Christ. 
Paul underscores this. I'm only going to mention these scriptures to you. We don't have time to hit them this morning, but write down somewhere in your notes, Romans 14, 1 through 4. Paul mentions here, I, I quoted just a couple of those verses to you earlier, but how we minister to those who we might deem are weak in the faith, but who might not actually be weak in the faith. That's just our assessment of them, right? There's a beautiful navigation, but there is a call to action that we engage. We engage in loving ways. In Romans 2, a passage I read to you earlier, he almost echoes the Lord here when he says, you have no excuse, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same thing. Let me give you the illustration here. We, we set the standard and tone for our own final judgment by our judgmental conduct in life. Listen to me, church family. Jesus is speaking here of posture and attitude in confrontation. Does that make sense? He's addressing the heart and motivation behind what's going on. We'd see that unpack in his analogy in just a moment. But I want to tell you something. We're living in a wishy-washy age. We're, we're living in an age that absolutely has abandoned anything that looks like a moral absolute. It's a morally, relativistically, subjective age that we live in. To where folks say, you know what, if it feels good to you, do it. If it's not wrong to you, it's not wrong. Don't worry about it. And at the moment you quote scripture or the moment you hold to a standard and don't even try to enforce it on others or even call others to account, you just live life according to God's word, you're going to be accused. You're going to be accused of being judgmental. I've come to tell you here this morning, listen carefully to me. The word of God is forever settled in heaven. And those that abandon God's word and those that live by the whims and the waves of this world and its fast changing moral culture. Listen to me carefully. That is a highway to hell. And there's no other way to say it. Everyone doing what's right in their own eyes has always invited the righteous, white-hot judgment of Almighty God. The crowd will call you judgmental if you hold to any moral absolutes, but I've come to remind you this morning, church family, adultery is wrong because God says so. Sex outside of the covenant of marriage is wrong because God says so. Sodomy is wrong because God says so. Murder is wrong because God says so. Stealing is wrong because God says so in his word. It's forever settled in heaven. And just declaring truth more than John 3.16 will get you accused of being judgmental and bigoted. You've not become a judge by declaring the standards of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the righteous judgment that Jesus tells us we can use in John 7, 24, when he says, judge with right judgment, discriminate between right and wrong based on the standard of the word of God. But haters gonna hate. They'll call you judgy judgerson when you quote the Bible and they are wrong. They will try to shut your mouth and stop you with the law of the land and the religion of the land, which is relativism. And I'm here to tell you, there's only one faith that will remain when all time has faded. And it's revealed to us in this precious book. Don't hush up 
because they're going to say something. I'm so thankful this morning for those who are on the front lines of the closest thing that I believe we have access to, to the gates of hell, this side of eternity. Those that go out day after day and stand at Planned Parenthood and the other abortion meals in Charlotte, North Carolina, not there to scream at anybody, but there to offer hope and information to folks that have been misled and lied to, to offer an alternative for life and have made a way for not only medical care to be provided free to these moms, if that's an issue, or adoption services to be provided free to these moms, if that's an issue. They go there and they stand, and I've been there, I've experienced some, but not to the extent of those regular faithful warriors that are out every week. They'll stand there and take insult after insult after insult, being degraded and demeaned, and they stand there with a smile on their face and a prayer on their lips, hoping, hoping that the Lord Jesus Christ will reach one heart. If they stop their mouths because of what they're being accused of, we're in trouble. And since they don't, it's okay for you to deal with a little harassment or discomfort in the family or at work. Don't back down. Jesus moves to an example that demands our attention. I'm conscious of my time this morning. That's the largest point. Don't worry, we'll work through it well. Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Look at the text with me. I'll have it on the screen. Here's the illustration. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? Or... How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. We'll come to verse 5 in just a moment. Here's the second point that really covers verses 3 and 4 and 5. Here it is, ready? Hypocritical criticism. Hypocritical criticism. I don't need a better analogy than what... Jesus has done here. So let me just unpack it this way. Have you flown in the last 15 to 20 years? And you've been on the plane and every parent and grandparent cringes at one part, one part in particular, I still do, of the pre-flight instructions, right? When the flight attendant is there giving clear instructions and says, in the event of a loss of cabin pressure, At one point, I could probably do the whole speech to you, but I can't anymore. And they show you that little nasty thing that they've all used for a while, like, who's disinfecting that? Just a question, like, because they're going, you can tell when it hadn't been done, because the flight attendants will do it like this far away from their face, they're like, put it on your face, and like, like that? Anyway, but they say, be sure to secure your own mask before assisting others. And every parent's heart goes like, you're crazy. I'm not gonna do that to me before I help my kid. Why would you do that? Well, because if you're lightheaded and have no oxygen and going to your brain, you're not in a good position to help somebody else. Now, what they're not saying is, um, that doesn't mean that you have to fully inspect all aspects of your mask and oxygen flow before you take action, that you bring an external engineer's tool to make sure that everything's functioning properly. Hold on, honey, I'll help you in a minute. Mommy's checking out the mask. You make sure everything's secure. Not gonna be, not, my glasses flog up if I don't have it on properly. Hold on just a minute. So I set my glasses right. No, 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 I'm coming. I know you've passed out because you have no oxygen. I'm fixing my mask. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be perfect before I help you. Nope, they don't say that. (laughs) Nor does it, they tell you to wait for the flight attendant to come around and inspect every mask to make sure it's 100% accurately applied before you can assist somebody else. They say, no, get yours in place before you help somebody else. That's what Jesus is telling us to do here. We can't lovingly confront a brother or sister with a visible, problematic, witness-compromising sin 
that we need to address until we deal with our own visible, problematic, witness-compromising sin. He didn't say you have to be perfect. He didn't say you have to be so pure that there's no chance of any impropriety, so clean that you might as well be in heaven, no trace of sin anywhere in your life before you talk to a brother. No, he's warning us, though, that if, we, uh, if we're possessed by this judgmental attitude, that our basic efforts in discipleship and encouraging one another, more than 50-some one another's in the New Testament dealing with what we do with each other as the church, And Jesus is saying all of those will be dysfunctional if you have unconfessed, clearly unconfessed sin that you need to deal with in your life. Jesus is not telling us we can't lovingly encourage one another and build one another up in our most holy faith. He's not telling us we have to be perfect before we can say anything. He is saying, you know how it goes, right? It's like the brother that always brings up, I don't know, always brings up uh, drinking, always. He works it into every conversation. He drinks beer and hard liquor, which scripture clearly labels as strong drink. He's high functioning, so we don't call him an alcoholic, but he's addicted to alcohol, and he comes up to you glassy-eyed with a drink of something in his hand to confront you about your addiction to bubble gum. Houston, we have a problem, right? Or, or, or the person who's addicted to, to cigarettes just blowing smoke out of their mouth saying, I want to talk to you about how Christ can set you free from all addiction, right? There's a visible kind of hiccup to the confrontation there. The thief who wants to talk to you about your stewardship. The crude and crass talker who always uses unwholesome speech constantly who wants to tell you how you could have said something better. Do you see what I'm laying down here? We, we got to deal with the stuff in our life. We've got to look into the mirror of God's word. And, and what that does for us when we do it God's way, when that's our motive, it breaks us. And we go with a spirit of humility and grace and mercy to talk to a brother or sister in Christ. Jesus says here to deal with the, the old timers used to say, the tuba six shooting out of your eye before you go get the piece of sawdust out of your brother's. You can't do eye surgery with a beam sticking out of your eye. Now notice, as we read the text, put verse five up for me there, Mark. He didn't say, don't you ever talk to them about anything. No, he says, before you do this, do that. Don't be a hypocrite. A a side note would be this, handle with care. Handle with care. Being judgmental means you attempt to play God when you are clearly not. You apply to others a standard that you don't want applied to yourself and your spiritual vision is blurred. You're dysfunctional. You lose perspective. You fail to see reality as it truly is. But we as God's people should be known for how sincerely we love one another, sometimes even tough love, but we love one another, not how fervently we judge one another. That's the heart of what's going on. And now this really difficult verse, verse 6. I want to touch on it because it's there. I'm not going to skip it, but I want to bring you a caution. Do not give to dogs what is holy. and Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Take that, let that sink in for just a minute. Who are these dogs? Who are these pigs? 
D.A. Carson writes, after warning us against judgmentalism, Jesus is now warning us against being undiscriminating with the witness of the riches of the gospel. Hmm. Some reading also carefully drew my attention that in this passage, notice there were five verses that dealt with the warning of us doing it wrong and only one telling us about writing people off. Yet I've found that sometimes, sometimes, I've met folks who are quick to write people off and slow to deal with their own issues. The ratio shows us where the greater danger lies. But let's deal with the verse. If you're in our Grace Covenant Bible reading plan this week, we were dealing with Moses and Pharaoh quite a bit, weren't we? Yes? We're all doing the same thing. I see some heads shaking. Some of you are just faking it. It's okay. I like head shaking. It's good. <laughs> Bible reading plan, yes. Where is that? I don't know what he's talking about. But God had already told Moses that Pharaoh's heart would be hardened, and yet Moses was faithful to share the message that God gave him to share every time there was an opportunity to do it. So if Moses can faithfully share the message to Pharaoh, knowing his heart was going to be hardened, I just want to caution you this morning from trying to discern who's a dog and who's a pig. The dogs here are not these cute, cuddly, domesticated pets that many of us have in our home. Uh, This is not the little person that's taken over your bedroom, specifically your bed. Remember you let him sleep one night on the bed? Just one night, honey. And now it's lost it. It's their house. You're just living in it. This is not that kind of dog. These are vicious animals that would tear up and destroy any and everything they could in that day. They would ravenously roam the streets and destroy anything they could find. And they were known to, um, to be vicious toward humans as well. Hogs were never spoken of favorably in the scripture. They trample everything as if it were nothing to get to the one thing that's on their mind, something they can consume. Peter uses these examples, dogs and hogs, as false teachers in 2 Peter chapter number 2. Here's what I would say to you. Here's the picture of who Jesus is talking about. If, If dogs would tear up the messenger without giving a second thought, The hogs would trample the message. These are people, and they exist among us, who take great delight not only in rejecting the precious word of God and the offer of salvation, but they exhaust every effort to demean the messenger and destroy and distort the message. Listen, dear brother or sister, I know this is a heavy verse especially with eternity in view, but, but we don't get to judge in advance who gets to hear the gospel and who doesn't. We have been commanded, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Luke would say this gospel would be preached to all creation, that repentance of sin and forgiveness should be proclaimed in my name to all creation. Mark handles it. John said, Jesus says in John, the gospel that I've come to give, I'm now sending you. 
As Jesus, as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Acts says we'll receive power to be his witnesses to everybody, everywhere, all the time. We don't get to try to do a pros and cons list in advance. We've been called to be ambassadors of grace. But I want to tell you something. Hear me. There is a line. in God's economy that can be crossed, where the only thing it makes sense to do is to shake the dust off of our feet and go to someone who will hear and will listen. I'm gonna come to an application point on that in just a moment before you get there. What's the summary this morning? Don't judge, there's a lot of don'ts, heavy stuff. I'm gonna give you some positives as your call to action. Don't be judgmental. Build one another up in our most holy faith. Julia, if you'll come to the piano. I've got a few action items I want to give you, then we're going to pray. And then we'll sing some more songs and be gone. What's the call to action? How do I flip all of this no, 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 no to some yes, yes, yes in my life, right? Because it's not just don't do this, there's some do that. Here's the first one. Be discerning, right? Don't be judgmental. Be discerning. Use God's standards and not yours because yours will change. Yours can float based on how you feel and how you get out of bed that morning. You can be in a mood to be Judgy Judgerson. Hello? Just me. Okay. Be discerning. Know right from wrong. That means get in the word. Be considerate, not critical. Yeah? You can have a difficult conversation with somebody and still be considerate. Have you had a conversation like that with a boss? Have you had one where he was considerate, she was considerate, and one where she wasn't considerate? Which one did you prefer? The problem still had to be addressed and dealt with. Be considerate, not critical in your spirit. Be consistent based on God's standard for your life. We judge others by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. Don't go to them and confront them about their addiction if you haven't confronted your own. That's just one example, myriad examples. Number four, be mindful. God's word is precious, that's the pearl we refer to. Be mindful, this is God's word. Be faithful in your witness, but we don't have to beg and plead for men and women who delight in hating God to accept our offering of grace. Be mindful it's Christ's message, not ours. Be mindful that it's his work, not ours. Be mindful that he alone will judge rightly, not us. Be mindful that he sees the outcome. We can't all the time. Here's the last one. Here's that caution for that last verse. Be long-suffering. Or if you want to write it this way, be careful and slow to write anybody off as unreachable. Before you write somebody off, would you please do me a favor? You might be a member of Grace Covenant Church. You may be a first-time guest. You may be a repeat, return guest. We're delighted to have you this morning. But if you're about to write somebody off and say, I'm not going to share the gospel with them anymore, would you please call me first? or call any elder of the church first, because here's what I wanna see. I'd like for you to take me to the place and show me where your knees have worn divots in the floor where you've cried out to God for their salvation. I'd like for you to take me to the place in your home or wherever it is where you have tears stained and soaked something 
calling out to God Almighty for the salvation of this fellow image bearer because you were in the same condition they were in when you were lost. Take me there, show me that, then we'll talk about dusting the dust off of our shoes. What I find typical is they're kind of hard to talk to. Can I be done? No. They need you because they need Jesus. The world doesn't need any more corrupt judges. <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to want anybody who holds to any standards from Scripture. Let God be the ultimate judge. You and I have our work cut out for us as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing the love and the hope and the grace and the goodness and the judgment that's coming with a lost and dying world. You and I have our work cut out for us, being brothers and sisters in covenant with each other, looking out for one another, building one another up in our most holy faith. To judge or not to judge. You may need to have a conversation with somebody, but this moment when Julia plays might be the moment for you to deal with that unconfessed sin in your life. You may be just about to write somebody off and I'm here to beg you, to beg you. I don't think so. It's not time. Don't do it. If our Love Life crew can take it week after week, we can take it another week. We all need the Lord to help us to rightly discern his word. Let's ask him to do that right now. Father, we love you so much and we cry out to you to help us to rightly carry your word and to rightly carry one another, to lovingly engage because we love one another and to build one another up in our most holy faith. And there's a lot more encouragement texts in the New Testament that help us do that well. But Lord, when we do have to show tough love, help us to do it from a place and a position of humility, not judgmentalism. Not a critical heart, Lord, but a loving and tender brother or sister that we might lift one another up. Father, I pray for those that we've been sharing the gospel with for years. I'm thinking back to Gary Cobb's message who was here just a while back. 40 years of rejection. And then finally, that dad, that brother said yes. Help us to hold on a little while longer. We love you. We confess our need for you in Christ's name. Let's stand together and sing some more.